Welcome to MI Live, a podcast from Macros Inc., where we talk about how to make your nutrition and fitness goals realistic, achievable, and sustainable. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to MI Live, your three times weekly nutrition talk show. I am Jay, and with me is Dr. Bradley Pendleton. Dieter, or as I said, like the bike yesterday. Oh my god, I was so I, I, yeah, I wasn't even thinking. Jay with Jay mm-hmm. thought my middle name was the same as a Peloton. I mean, it's close. It's there's close, a T, man. And there's an L, and there's a T, and there's an O, and there's an N. I'm just gonna call you Doctor Doctor Bike. Doctor Dr. Bike. Dieter. You know what's Dr. funny is I did my master's thesis project on bicycle. Did you use a Peloton? <clears throat> no. I did not. Well, then you failed. I had to do my own like soldering of electrical components together for that. That was pretty cool. I took, uh, we had electronics in high school and I took a, uh, my first class, my, maybe my second class freshman year of high school. And it was, uh, <clears throat> we walked in and we, we literally just, the teacher, it was his retirement year. And we just sat there and melted solder all year. I learned absolutely nothing. And I just, I, I probably have an awesome class if you learned a lot. Yeah, right. It would it would have been, but he did not want to teach anything, and all I did was melt big things of solder down to giant balls of solder and giant pools of solder the entire year. That's, that was probably very therapeutic. It it was a lot of fun. That was like all I did, and my my lab partner uh, that I had first semester is uh is, went went to prison. He was. Two years. This old. podcast started and, on yeah, a weird note. He, 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 he went to prison. He went to prison years later for attempted murder. So I was so thankful that I uh, did not get attemptedly murdered by him. He was happy with me melting things for him. Dude, it's soldering stuff is so therapeutic. It's it's just fun, like like hot glue sticks. Like it's so much fun just to put a glue stick through a hot glue gun and just watch it. That is also very true. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. When Lisa uses hot glue guns pretty often, I can never. Uh, I can never. As soon as she like turns her back, I push like four glue sticks through that thing and just make a pile of melted glue. You know what's also very fun? Puff Whiskey. Paint. Do you remember puff paint? No. You remember the like the sweatshirts that had the puff paint on them? No. Oh man, you gotta look this up. I'm gonna send right. you one. All right. All right. This so is Brad, a great segue into the topic of discussion. So what is our topic of discussion today, Brad? We are going to talk about nutrition and heart disease. The Ooh. most just asininely complicated, uh, controversial topic for some reason. <laughs> that's, that's accurate, isn't it? Yeah. Like how many, how many debates have you seen on Facebook about this? Seven. Se- only seven, not, se- not eight. Oh, exactly seven. All right. Well, should we dive into it? Yeah. You you pick the topic, so you go ahead and start, my friend. So, Jay. Brad. What's your answer to the question? To what? what the question of nutrition, nutrition and heart disease? disease? Question mark. Yes. Okay. We'll call that the episode. All right. See you guys later. I got stuff to do. Um, actually, you know what? I got to work really early. I'm going to go drinking. I'll talk to you later. That would, be, that would still be pretty early, 9 o'clock your time. <laughs> it's it's evening in Europe, and we have European employees. That's true. Um, so I, I think the first place to start is I, I don't think a lot of people really think about cardiovascular disease or heart disease 
the kind of the correct way. And really, I think the best way to think about it is it's a process that takes a long time and it takes kind of a lifetime accumulation of risk, right? So if you think about like what that means is every day, week, month, year that you live, you're just accumulating risk. And as that risk accumulates, your likelihood of you know, being somewhere in the process of developing cardiovascular disease increases, right? So we know that there's a lot of different risk factors for cardiovascular disease, and we'll, we'll talk about those in a little bit. But as you kind of progress through life, you're exposed to those risk factors more often, and that increases your, you know, the accumulation of your risk increases. So then if we know that there's specific cardiovascular risk factors or there's specific nutrition pieces that can relate to cardiovascular disease, it's basically just like accumulating risk at a higher rate, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were to kind of just like plot a line from like zero, age zero to a hundred, and that line kind of slowly increases from zero to a hundred just because of human physiology. And then you do things that are not good or they increase your risk of heart disease above baseline. You're basically just like changing the angle of that line. So your risk just gets a little bit higher in baseline time. And I think that's a much better way to think about it than just like, hey, this one food directly causes you to develop cardiovascular disease. It just changes your overall risk for it. Agreed. And okay. Comments, concerns on that, Jay? No, makes sense to me. I, I, I literally have nothing on that. Um, Jay's very excited about this topic today, I can tell. So we, uh, there's kind of a few ways to think about it. And one is, I think the best way to start the discussion is understanding like what are the specific risk factors for developing heart disease. And there's really kind of five major ones. There's what we call dyslipidemia or kind of a irregular fatty acid profile. And for most of us, that means, you know, pretty elevated cholesterol, elevated triglycerides, et cetera. Um, that's the first one. The second one is, is hypertension, um, and that's elevated blood pressure. And we know that elevated blood pressure is kind of the largest um, modifiable risk factor, right? Because you can, you can affect your blood pressure, and that's probably one of the biggest risk factors for developing heart disease. Um, the second one, or the third one is hyperglycemia. Uh, the fourth one is inflammatory processes or inflammation. And then the fifth one is obesity. Now, obesity, as kind of a result of obesity, you get dyslipidemia, hypertension, hyperglycemia, inflammation. And then there's also maybe some additional things on top of just those four other risk factors. Obesity appears to have some, you know, independent risk above those things. So that's kind of the first one, the first kind of stop. So those are kind of the main risk factors, Jay. Does that make sense? Were, were those in order in any particular order? <clears throat> no, I would say if anything, it probably goes hypertension, um, dyslipidemia, uh, inflammation, actually probably hyperglycemia, inflammation. And then I put obesity last just because all the other four are kind of the main causative factors of why obesity results in heart disease. But there is some like obesity independent risk after you account for but all those. Isn't now isn't reducing the risk of isn't reducing <clears throat> obesity or go, getting to a normal body weight, however you want to put it, isn't getting to a normal body weight, won't that reduce the other risks <coughs> significantly? Yes. 
Yeah. So when you when you lower your body weight, your dyslipidemia improves, your hypertension improves, your hyperglycemia improves, and your inflammation improves. So, but but a lot of the cardiovascular disease risk reduction from obesity is consumed by the reduction of those risk factors. And and if you have an underlying <laughs> condition, like let's say you have hypertension and it's, it's just genetic. Some people just yeah. have hypertension. Um, and I am, and you're, and you're overweight as well. That obviously increases your risk factor. Um, is there, <clears throat> so in, in my mind, oh, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm hearing you wrong. Obesity is the, the biggest driver overall. Obesity, of heart, heart obesity is the largest driver overall. Because it's really a catalyst to, it's a catalyst and an addiction source, really. It'll either trigger these problems because if I don't have hypertension, I'm very obese. I can develop hypertension, right? Correct? Yes. And then if I have a genetic disposition for hypertension and I'm at a normal body weight and then I become obese, it amplifies it and and makes my risk even higher. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, so I guess what I'm trying to, to say is, like, obesity causes the major risk factors, yeah. right? Um, but once we account for all those risk factors that are induced by diabetes or obesity, mm-hmm. there is still a small subset left over that is kind of unexplained, right, that is related mm-hmm. to obesity. And that's that's kind of the, the rest of it, if that makes right. sense. So, <clears throat> I don't know, are you getting more detail on those, or can we keep, do you want to keep talking about them? No, we'll, uh, we, we can go into more detail. Do you want Well, I was just kind of just carrying the conversation. The, the, uh, so if I have, where would you say the, let's say I have type two diabetes. I have my, my triglycerides are extremely high mm-hmm. and my blood pressure is, you know, it's hard, difficult to control with medication and I'm overweight. Yeah. Would you, where would you say the best energy of those four things, where would you say it's best to spend your energy reversing first? Uh, the body weight. Now, now obviously there's a emergent factor that, that comes into any play in those, right? Obviously if I'm in a hypertensive crisis, if I'm in, uh, you know, if I'm hypoglycemic or in diabetic ketoacidosis, which would most likely be type one, but it, it changes, right? Obviously we have emergent factors, but long-term overall health, uh, the focus should be on managing the hypertension, diabetes, triglycerides, while you try to correct the problem with weight loss. Would that be a fair statement? Yes. Yeah. So I would say in that case, the primary driver of all of the risk factors is going to be obesity, right? And the, the first place to start is body weight reduction, right? Mm-hmm. So if we reduce body weight, we'll see improvements in cholesterol and triglycerides. We'll see improvements in blood pressure. We'll see improvements in hyperglycemia and we'll see improvements in inflammation. So that's kind of the first place to start. So all those risk factors kind of come down in parallel with body weight. Um, okay. And this has been shown really kind of time and time and time again. Okay. Now, in addition to that, there are we do know that there are some like nutritional things you can do to, you know, address each of those pieces, right? So Mm -hmm. each of the risk factors, regardless of, of weight loss, there are some things that like, we know certain nutrition choices can affect cholesterol and triglyceride levels, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
So for example, we know that, uh, you know, higher fiber intakes are associated with lower total cholesterol levels, right? So if you can increase your fiber intake, you'll have a very small, modest effect on uh, or on uh, cholesterol and triglyceride levels. Mm-hmm. If we reduce trans fats or eliminate them out of the diet, we see reductions in total cholesterol. Um, if we replace saturated fats with polyunsaturated fats, we'll also see reductions in total cholesterol. So those are like, you know, in addition to weight loss, here's some of the nutritional things we can do to kind of address this dyslipidemia or these elevated, you know, blood fats, so to speak. Okay. So that's, that's kind of one of the first ones. So kind of addressing the dyslipidemia piece is fiber intake, uh, eliminating trans fats and replacing some of your saturated fats with polyunsaturated fats specifically. Okay. So that's the first one. Um, the next one is hypertension. Okay. So hypertension, elevated blood pressure, one of the largest risk factors that's modifiable. Um, in addition to weight loss, really kind of the best ways to address blood pressure problems is, uh, sodium and potassium intake, right? Most people, if you don't have blood pressure problems, so you don't have hypertension, you don't have elevated blood pressure, uh, you don't really need to worry too much about your sodium intake, right? You can kind of just consume what you need, consume what you are, and not stress out about it. But if you do have elevated levels of, uh, of blood pressure, monitoring and reducing sodium is probably a pretty smart move. Um, mm-hmm. And these are pretty meaningful effects. I mean, we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 millimeters of mercury of systolic blood pressure, right? So that may take you from 140, which is considered hypertensive, down to 120, right? Which is a pretty big reduction. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's not too different from what most um, blood pressure lowering medications are, right? They're a little bit stronger, but they're kind of in the, the same ballpark. Right. So sodium reductions are, are pretty big in that population. Now, normal people in general don't have to worry about it. Okay. Brad, what is, what, what's the, what are the numbers for hypertension? What is your systolic? It, it's your systolic and your diastolic over what? Um, so it's, it used to be, let me, I have to look this up. It used to I, be, I, oh, I know it. You it used to, to be 140 up. over 20, but it, I think we may have lowered it. No, 140. They it was it was always anything over one twenty over eighty. Then they upped it to one thirty one one thirty over eighty, and now it's one forty yeah. over ninety. Yeah, one forty over ninety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is crazy that it's changed. I mean, that's changed that much in 15, <laughs> in in fifteen years is when they started changing it. So over fifteen years, we've increased your systolic by twenty. That's and here's here is my. My hippopotamus, my hypothesis about this okay. is we can live longer with higher blood pressure mm-hmm. because we have so many other medications to manage all the other risks, right? So I don't, I don't know if it's really, hey, we have the same risk profile at 120 as we do at 140, but it's right. like, hey, we've managed all the other risk factors through medication mm-hmm. that we can live longer with a higher blood pressure. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I think it is too, because you have like at, at one, I mean, that's a lot of pressure 
that's a lot of arterial pressure building up over over years. I remember when I first went to paramedic school, it was anybody over at, at one forty, you were starting to enter into you you were hypertension. I mean that was that was clear. One forty, they have an issue. They they need to go to the hospital, and now it's one forty. You're still normal. Right? I mean, they changed bradycardia too, and that used to be at sixty, and now it's set at fifty. And you know, the AHA, the American Heart Association, recommends that everybody takes a statin, and that's. You know, I, I don't know how much I, I agree with that, but every everybody should just take <coughs> statins indiscriminately. And it just seems I've had I've had I'll go with I'll go with over uh, well over. I'll go with over 200 discussions on with physicians over uh, 10 years um, on on that. And it was I, I. I can maybe think of two physicians that thought it was a good idea that were like, Oh yeah, yeah. I recommend it for all my patients. Yeah. And that's, um, that gets a little bit back to the, uh, dyslipidemia piece, right? Lowering mm -hmm. total cholesterol. Statins mm -hmm. are very effective at doing that. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, and it really depends on the physician that you, you ask, but there are all, there's also like a lot of, this is kind of one of the line. A lot of physicians will say is, Statins are not about lowering cholesterol. They're about reducing risk of heart right. disease and cardiovascular events. And there do appear to be some like cholesterol independent benefits of statins in yeah. some situations. Um, but what's, yeah, what's really interesting is we're really just managing all of the That's risk factors like more aggressively. Like I think like uh look at hyperglycemia right like what are a1c targets now versus what they were 10 20 years ago it's like they the targets used to be like hey if you're type 1 diabetic and your a1c is below nine you're good now it's like well sh your targets you know below seven <laughs> yeah and you know i think i think you nailed it that a lot of it is you know this, especially the AHA policy, and I think we know we know this. Anybody who's tried to diet knows this: that lifestyle modifications are hard, and most people aren't willing to make lifestyle modifications, even at the clear risk of health. So it's just easier to manage those problems versus trying to actually solve solve the problem. It's easier just to put a band aid on it, which is medication for most people. Yeah, well, I think you know. There's kind of a few pieces there, and this is one of the, this is kind of the conversation I like to have with people is there's there's two sources or there's two pieces to like addressing cardiovascular disease risk in somebody, right? Is one is what's the primary cause? And then two, how do we manage the accumulation of risk over the rest of your life? Mm -hmm. Right? Like let's say we have a client, hundred pounds overweight at a pretty high risk for developing cardiovascular disease. And every day that they are hundred pounds overweight, that risk continues to accumulate at a higher rate than it would if they were at a normal body weight. Right. Mm -hmm. So the discussion really becomes, okay, there's two components to addressing your current cardiovascular disease risk. There's one, what is the kind of underlying cause for the, the elevated risk factors, right? What's the underlying cause for, you know, elevated cholesterol, elevated triglycerides, inflammation, hyperglycemia, um, you know, hypertension. It's it's your body weight, right? We need to we need to lower your body weight somewhere in the neighborhood of eighty to one hundred pounds to really drop that risk. But in the meantime, there are pharmaceutical interventions we can do to kind of temporarily address the symptoms, to reduce the symptoms, to lower the the risk over the next two to three years. 
So we're not accumulating that risk um, while we're in the weight loss phase, right? So those are two very different components. But I think a lot of times we either have the discussion on just the, addressing the symptoms through pharmacology or just addressing the root cause through the, the weight management piece. But I don't think we generally have those discussions with both, right? So like mm-hmm. when clients will say, hey, you know, my doctor's recommended I take X, Y, and Z, you know, but if I lose weight, that'll solve the problem. It's like, okay, well, let's have the discussion of where are we currently in the situation and where are we trying to go? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's other things that you can do besides – go ahead. I was going to ask you how you coughed and muted your mic so fast. I'm very good at it. I mean, that was seamless. It looked like when you coughed, it muted automatically. I wondered if you had like a pedal or something you took your foot off. No, but that, that's a good idea. Right. Um, so in <clears throat> addition to sodium reduction for hypertension, there are a few other things that are very interesting that we see from kind of the nutrition literature. One is there's a very small effect that's seen by increasing fruit and vegetable intake on hypertension. Mm-hmm. It's not huge. It's a couple millimeters of mercury. So it's maybe, you know, a very minor effect, but it does appear to be there. Um, and there also is some effect of kind of reducing uh, saturated fat intake with uh, blood pressure, right? So if you replace it with either carbohydrates or uh, protein or monounsaturated fat, we do see reductions um, kind of across the board in blood pressure. So it's kind of like, hey, let's adopt a more kind of plant-rich diet and we'll see, you know, reductions in sodium intake. We'll see reductions in um, saturated fat intake and we'll see increases in kind of polyunsaturated fats and carbohydrates. And then you can augment with protein, right? So those are some of the things that we can do on the kind of hypertension side, which is very similar to what we see on the you know, the dyslipidemia side as well. Dyslipidemia. Can you hear my dogs going crazy in the background? No. They're battling outside my office. Oh, well, you should yell at them and say bad dog. No, they're just playing. So, uh, <clears throat> oh, go ahead. Were you going to continue on that? I don't even know what I was going to say. Okay. Uh, so hyperglycemia is the next major risk factor. Um, so, Really kind of long story short, um, if we look at, you know, really all of the the literature in its totality, we kind of look at, okay, what are the things we know about, you know, glycemic index, blah, 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 blah high-carb diets, low-carb diets, etc. cetera. Um, probably the best way to, to summarize it is diets that are kind of – moderate in carbohydrate intake. So they're not super, super high. They're not super, super low, kind of somewhere in the middle, right? Um, That have minimal amounts of processed sugar in them. Mm -hmm. Um, Those tend to be the better diets for managing hyperglycemia. And the reason I say that is if you look at what actually controls blood sugar, right? The, the exact food that you consume um, in your kind of overall glycemic load, your A1Cs, your kind of fasting blood sugar is not super dependent on the exact type of carbohydrate that you consume or the exact amount. It's kind of the, the accumulation of what's your 
what is your kind of body adiposity? Um, how much body fat are you carrying? And then how is your overall metabolism, right? And when you look at kind of what an overall healthy diet pattern is that kind of relates to a healthy body weight is kind of a, a moderate carbohydrate intake that is kind of higher in, you know, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, starches, generally associates with that kind of more healthy phenotype that's reflective of a well-controlled blood sugar. Um, and that's really what we see across kind of all of the, the studies together. Okay. What, <clears throat> what is, do, are, is, are any of them linked outside of, what is the link between them all? Is it, is it over being overweight? Is obesity the link that connects these or does do different, do different um, things like hypertension and, diabetes type 2 diabetes do they have their own link that's outside of uh of weight gain uh yes right so obesity as a result of kind of just the excess adipose tissue and the metabolic changes that occur almost universally drives hyperglycemia hypertension dyslipidemia and inflammation um all of them together now you can carry a healthy body weight and you can have dyslipidemia right whether it's from genetic, um, whether it is from, you know, a pretty poor diet pattern, whether it's from just very low levels of physical activity, um, you know, or genetic components, you can have elevated, you know, uh, cholesterol and triglycerides that we see that in lean, healthy weight people. Uh, same thing with hypertension, right? You can have, um, kind of your renin, angiotensin aldosterone system which controls your blood pressure so your hemodynamics primarily through your kidneys um, you can have changes to that system from from diet from stress um, from environmental exposures from all sorts of things that can cause you to have elevated blood pressure um, i would say most people who have elevated blood pressure to currently healthy body weight it's likely from stress management um, you know, overconsumption of stimulants, way too high sodium intake, those sorts of things. Uh, hyperglycemia. Oh, go ahead. How, how common, but isn't, isn't sodium sensitive hypertension like just rare in general? It's pretty rare. Let me look up the prevalence of. Cause it's one of those things that you always hear people saying that they're, that they have to watch their salt intake because they have high blood pressure. But then when you look at the medications they're on, <laughs> what what they actually what the cause of their hypertension actually is it's very rare that it's a sodium related hypertension yeah i think it's um so 32 percent of oh that doesn't look right um so, this is gonna sound bad but i don't believe this journal but anyway <laughs> oh that's because these are young kids that's why that data didn't make sense um, prevalence of primary and secondary hypertension. Nature.com nature says 60% of, of people of hypertension are salt sensitive. Um, I'm looking at an AHA journal. Um, hypertension, 30%. Yeah, I can't find the exact number. But I, I do remember that it was... There was new research coming out about it when I stopped reading all the cardiac research, but there was a, uh, it, 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 it is, it's, I know it's less than, I, I know it's less than like 
50 it's less probably less than 30 percent. i can't remember the exact number now and i don't want to say it but it was it was a lower percentage of overall hypertension causes yeah let me look this up um, oh man this is this is a old paper 1989 oh my god it's so old dude i mean but think about the population has changed in 30 years no i'm still kick ass and still here you're still here debatable see um, yeah, so so that's kind of that story. Um, yeah, and then hyperglycemia, you know, you can have a normal BMI and have altered blood sugar levels as well from a lot of different factors. Jay. Oh, we have a question, and that is, what is a good amount of sodium someone should consume daily? So um, I believe the current like uh, American uh, Heart Association is 2,300 milligrams or 2.3 grams. I believe that's the current American Heart Association recommendation. Um, it does change. If, <laughs> if, if you're an endurance athlete, you're going to need more more sodium to replenish. Um, the average person, though, is right at 2,300 grams, yeah. 2,300 yeah. milligrams. 2,300 grams would be a lot. You would That'd be, be a salty person. Yeah. Ah, maybe, that's what's wrong, maybe that's what's wrong with my dad. Does he drink? Does he eat a lot of salt? He's just salty. That's probably true too. Um, but he does eat a lot of salt. I've never. I've seen him put salt on peanut butter and jelly before. You know what's weird is like I'm not a salt person. I don't. Like, I don't mind it, but I don't <laughs> seek it out. I, it's very rare that I say a, a food is too salty, um, but I do not add salt to food. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's why, like, I've had hypotension at some point in my life because I just don't get enough salt. You've had hypotension? Yeah. My, you're, you're a, you're an odd duck there, Brad. At, at one point, my resting heart rate was like 38 and my blood pressure was like 80 over 50. Yeah, I you know what that's funny because I had I had <laughs> not my blood pressure was not that low. I've never been I, I think one ten was the lowest I got to, but I had my resting heart rate at about 40, 48 for maybe a year, right? For the six months before I did bodybuilding show and the six months after when I was still doing cardio every day for mass amounts of time. Um, yeah, no, you felt like crap. <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't feel that bad. Oh, I, I just, whenever weird. I would like be laying down and I'd stand up real quick, I'd be like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. All right. What next, Brad? Okay. The next one is inflammation. Inflammation. So <clears throat> what is what is a bigger driver in, and maybe I'm using inflammation or maybe I'm confusing it with soreness. What what is the biggest driver in inflammation in people? First, let's start there. Um, for most people, it's excess adipose tissue. Okay, and is that caused by the extra weight, or is there something unique about adipose tissue that causes inflammation? Um, so, as fat mass increases, it starts becoming more inflammatory. So it starts actually spitting out more inflammatory molecules. Um. And it starts secreting less anti-inflammatory molecules. 
The interesting thing is this then tunes the immune system differently. So you actually will get your there's your macrophages, your white blood, one of your white blood cells um, has really one of two phenotypes. It's kind of canonically the way we described it. They're called M1 and M2. One is more pro-inflammatory and one is more anti-inflammatory. Um, and so as you become more obese, not only does your, or as you, as your adiposity increases, not only does your, your fat tissue, your adipose tissue start secreting more inflammatory molecules, your immune cells start to pivot more towards the inflammatory phenotypes. So you'll have a lot more of the inflammatory macrophages than the anti-inflammatory ones, which is also very interesting. Okay. So if I, so we have adipose tissue causing inflammation, which is going to be, and more than likely, not always, but most likely people who have a lot of excess body fat have poor quality diets and typically eat foods that are high in pro-inflammatory properties. Is that a fair yeah. statement? I would say yes. That's the other component. Okay. So which do you think is the most bang for the buck? Um, eating, changing the quantity of food to lose weight or focusing on the quality of food to reduce inflammation, focusing on the quality of food, which is going to get me the best inflammation relief and which will be better and is the same one the best for long-term results? Um, so I would say it starts with quality and then it moves – or it starts with quantity mm -hmm. and then it moves to quality, right? Okay. So if you can manage the quality piece and you can lose a substantial amount of body weight, you'll see your risk reduction in your inflammation drop by a substantial amount, right? But then once you get there, you get to the point where, okay, just lowering food more is not going to be any more beneficial. Um, now it's I need to clean up the choices of my diet so I can get kind of last few pieces, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. We have a couple so what works initially does not work forever. Right. Agreed. A couple questions. Well, let's do it. Uh, somebody said you had orthostatic hypotension. I, I agree. I did. I agree. Uh, Zipporah said my resting heart rate is in the low forties and I feel fine. Well, Zipporah, you can leave with your smart aleck comments because I did not feel fine. And you, and you emailed <laughs> me, fine. you emailed me yesterday and we are battling, although your email wasn't anything, but nice stuff, but we're <laughs> battling now. So, um, no, and I, and I agree. I just, I just felt like crap. Right. Um, I, I wonder think, if it had anything to do with your low blood pressure and low heart rate versus the fact that you, had been dieting for an extended period of time and your body fat was super low and everything <clears throat> felt like garbage. Um, anytime in my life, I mean, playing hockey my whole life, I always, I never liked it when my heart rate would get real low. Uh, and mainly at the, it was a lot of it was related to work to work cause I was a fireman. So it mm -hmm. would I, like getting up in the middle, like you said, feeling like getting dizzy. We'd get up for in the middle of the night for a call or something. I'd stand up too fast and I'd like get dizzy and it'd take me a minute and I just couldn't. I did not like it. It was not enjoyable to my life. Um, but no, I mean, it's there's nothing wrong with being in the 40s as long as it's you are taking care of it. The only problem you have to ha worry about is um, th there's a higher risk for people who are regularly bradycardic. Um, once you stop that training and your heart rate goes back up, you're at a higher risk for um, heart, heart dysrhythmias. Yeah. So, yeah. So you need to really watch, watch out for that. So there is a proper way to... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for to detrain your heart? What the 
decondition your heart um, when you're done when you're done training. Uh, if you look at <coughs> if you look at former athletes, they have a high high per, a disproportionately high percentage of AFib. Um, yeah. So as, as you try, especially in mu more muscular people, so as you get more as your heart gets more tuned, it gets bigger, right? It's a muscle, just like your skeletal muscle grows. So we get hypertrophy in your heart, but when you stop lifting or stop working out skeletal muscle shrinks, it goes back. Um, cardiac muscle only goes down about 10% of its size. It doesn't contract all the way. So your atria, the top part of your heart are very, very thin to begin with. And now you just stretched them out because you have a bigger heart because you're pumping more blood volume to your body to support more muscle. And then all of a sudden your muscle, your skeletal muscle decreases, your blood volume decreases, and now your heart chambers aren't filling up. And those walls are very, very thin and they start to fibrillate. Do you know what they call that type of remodeling when the heart gets bigger, but the walls get thinner? Uh, I used to. I don't remember anymore. Eccentric. That's right. Which is different than the heart getting larger from uh, hypertension. So right. if you have blood pressure, your heart will also get bigger, but the walls will get thicker. Thick, thicker, yeah. That's called concentric. Kind of, yeah. I used to teach this. I, remember. I don't remember the words. Right? It's been 10 years, but gosh, no, it's been years? five years, five years since I taught I it. I don't think it's been 10 years. No, five? No, when did I stop? It's been, oh my God, it's only been like two years. <laughs> August 2018. Was oh, yeah. Feels it's like, felt like 10 years since then. Feels like a lifetime ago. I was thinking about that the other day. And the, uh, I, I, I became a fireman in 2002. That was the year I graduated eighth grade. No. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. We're not that you're not that much old. That's oh my god, it is because you're the same age as Lisa. Oh, I was god. I finished eighth grade at fourteen. I was born in eighty eight. Yeah, I guess I'm not that much older than you. You know what's really funny? We had a a graduation song for eighth grade, and it, I still remember it to this day. Oh, cool story. Because <laughs> it had the words two thousand and two in it. That's oh my god. Yeah, that. but but I was a fireman for fifteen years. And I've been running a business fireman for 10 years and I've been running businesses now for longer than I was a fireman, but I still like, it, it's just a weird thing when you switch like that. Anyways, life is weird. You're weird. Uh, <laughs> Carrie said, just, just tuning. Darn it. Sorry. Off topic. I'm wondering about loss of progress. I had nice gains with muscles, especially in upper body. Say I get sick and don't exercise for about two weeks. Do I lose everything or how much progress would one lose? Approximately two weeks. You're not going to lose anything significant. Yeah. It's um, going to be can, pretty minimal. Losses. Yeah. I mean, I took, I've done it twice now. I'm on, I'm just finishing up. I, I've taken about a year off lifting and I did that once before and the previous, I took six months off before it took me about two months to get back up where I was. And so far being back in lifting after probably over a year off being back in for three weeks consistently, um, my strength is 85% of the way where it was prior to lifting. So I predict within three months, I'll be right back to where I was. Yeah, I don't think I've gotten stronger in like 40 years, so it's fine. You've what? I don't think I've gotten stronger in like 40 billion years. <laughs> I think I'm at the point in my life where it just, just goes down. <laughs> is it true that certain foods promote or reduce inflammation uh, per se, or is that really just a secondary effect of changing food on weight? Um, it is true. What I would say, though, is... Trying to eat anti-inflammatory foods to lower body inflammation when you're carrying 60 pounds of extra tissue is like trying to use a fire extinguisher 
on a thousand acre forest fire. It just, it, it, there's not enough there to do anything. Um, just because the primary source of the inflammation, you're not really addressing it. Now, if you carry a pretty healthy body weight um, and you realize like, hey, my body responds in certain ways to certain foods that's more inflammatory than others, then you're going to make a, you can make a pretty big dent in terms of choosing lower anti-inflammatory foods. Um, now, my read on that literature is that appears to be incredibly individualized um, and there's not like, hey, tomatoes are inflammatory and potatoes are anti-inflammatory. I, I haven't seen any compelling literature to suggest that's the case. It appears more to be how is someone's gut handling the food and then how is their immune system reacting to that food? Um, there are a couple things that you can do to address some of that. And it really appears to have more to do with your omega-3 to omega-6 intake. Um, and I think people... If they increase their omega-3 intake, you may be able to lower some of the inflammation that's occurring in your body. Um, that doesn't appear to happen to everybody, and it doesn't appear to be super robust for most people. Um, vitamin E may also be a little bit maybe beneficial too, but that's really about it. Okay. That was actually my question was the omega-3, omega-6 balance. Yeah. And that, I think I've said this before, but... I don't think there's any really good solid evidence to suggest that there's like some optimal ratio that we need to be towards. Mm -hmm. There's, there are a few review papers that have been written on it that have no primary data. Um, the only paper that I'm aware of that actually references like hard data was written by um, a guy named, I think it's Boyd Eaton. And it looked at, they basically did some like forensic analysis of the types of food that like our paleolithic ancestors ate and looked at the omega-3 to omega-6 and said, ah, this is the optimal ratio, which one, I don't know how accurate those tests are Two, who's to say those people were healthier than we are now. Um, and three, I don't know if that logic falls all the way through. Like, hey, that's what—that's the best it can be for mankind. It's like, well, I don't know, probably not. <laughs> yeah, the uh, any any said to me that looks back at Paleolithic man doesn't add up. It's yeah. So I don't get it. I, I think there's like there's biological rationale for having a better omega three to omega six ratio, like. We know how the eicosanoids are metabolized. We know what their end metabolites are. We know how those are involved in inflammation. Um, but in terms of like hard data, there is not a lot, to be honest with you. Your hard data. This is true. As Zipporah said, she is not battling with us. We're the best. I know I'm the best. Brad's kind of questionable, but um, you're I'm probably better than both of us. You're, you're probably better than both of us combined. That's also true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, super good info on the heart, random Facebook person. Sing it. Brad, sing it. I refuse to sing that one. Just sing it. I can't. Just sing the word it. That's what the request oh. was. It. See? There you go. Hitting the high <laughs> notes. Now we get, you need to get you a hi-hat with a souped-up tempo so you're on a roll. It'll be time to go solo. Then you'll be rolling in your 5.0 with your top down so your hair can't blow. Okay, I'm done. What song is that? Ice Ice Baby, dude. Oh, that's right. I'm trying to I, convince I, my wife I need a drum set. 
<laughs> we're good. Gary said, "Awesome, thank you." You what, said hi, Matt. But what? I have so many questions um, and so many things that I just want to buy you now to send to your house. But I'm your wife is a good shot, and I'm really scared to send her anything to make her mad. What is? Why do you want a drum set? First off, let's go there. So here's the thing. I've well, let's always... back up. Let's back up. Have you ever played the drums? Well, if I play the drums. Do you know how to play a song on the drums? No. Okay. So now let's go into why do you want a drum set? So my whole entire life, I've always wanted to be musically inclined. Okay. Agreed. I am not musically inclined. Agreed. I taught myself to play guitar and I can play a couple songs on it. Yeah. But I can't play a guitar rhythm and sing at the same time because like the singing, the singing like beat is usually a little bit off from the guitar beat and like. I can't match like two different beats in my head. That, I can't match I can't, one beat. <laughs> like I can be on beat with stuff, I but I can't like I can't play a guitar at like, one pace and sing at, like a slow pace, right? I just it's kind of like the can you pat your head and rub your stomach? It's like I can do that, but I can't do that. No, I'm 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 100. percent I taught myself to play guitar. I took some lessons. Taught myself to play guitar. If I have like the mute the the music or tab in front of me, I can play it. But I cannot write anything on my own. I cannot play rhythms, and I cannot do anything that has vocal. And I can't play with other people because I can't line up to their. I can't yeah. synchronize with them. Yeah. So yeah, you should you should never be around Lisa. Lisa is this person who can pick up any instrument she's never seen, look at it for five minutes, and and play a full song that like and and just play it. And and she doesn't play an instrument. She yeah. hasn't played. She played piano when she was a kid and played violin for a little bit. And then she's like, I hate this all and I never want to do it again. We were in, I have a guitar in my garage. She just picked it up, never touched a guitar in 30 minutes. She was just like jamming, playing, playing scales and stuff. I'm like, how'd you, she goes, it's simple if you're not stupid. And that's what, so apparently if we're not, <laughs> we were at the lake this summer and we were trying to, like we were wake surfing and one of my friends was trying to wake surf and he couldn't get it. And he came back into the boat and he's like, God, it's just so much easier when you're better. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. What did you- so I want drums because A, they're just, they just seem awesome and they're obnoxious at the same time. And B, have you ever noticed like the, if you watch the drummer in a song, his like beat and the way he drums makes no sense. Like, except for like the bass line, Everything else is just like, yeah, yeah, which has like nothing to do with the actual like melody. It's like I don't. This makes no sense. So I feel like if there's ever something I could probably figure out, probably drums. I I think drumming is like probably the hardest thing in the world. The hardest thing in a, in, in like a band. Yeah, I know. I know. I know a couple drummers and like, yeah, I I couldn't. I can't. I can't tap my foot at a different rhythm than I'm moving my hand. <laughs> right. It just doesn't. I'm doing it right now, and it just I can't. I can't do it. So, well, I will fully support this drum habit. And I say, I mostly just want to like make loud noises and smash my head in my office. Yeah. And I mostly just want to see, I want you to put a live webcam in there so we can see your wife coming in and throwing things at you every day. Just be a beatbox, dude. Just be a human beatbox. Oh, that's what I used to do when we play Halo all the time. Boots and cats, boots and cats, boots and cats. I would just beatbox in my my mic to people. It would drive me nuts. Oh, my God. You should just play Guitar Hero. I love Guitar Hero. I haven't played video games. Except for Mario Kart on 64, which I don't really classify as video games. Because it's like, it is a... 
It is a pastime. I don't. Yeah, I don't understand this this obsession everybody has with Mario Kart. All of a sudden, what do you mean? I mean, it's a good game. Don't get me wrong. I don't. So I don't. I also don't understand video games now that That's I'm. In them. I, I also don't understand video games anymore. I used to. I used to love video games. I had gaming computers, played all the time, and I now just don't get them anymore. Like I, I know. I think games are boring. <laughs> they're all the same. They're all the. They're, there's not one game that's unique and new anymore, right? Like Mario Kart was new and unique when it came out. Then Goldeneye was new and unique when it came out, and now everything is the exact same. All right. Somebody said two years ago, I lost thirty pounds lifting weights, doing cardio, great blood pressure, and perfect blood work. Had a heart attack anyway. ER doctor was scratching his head. I shouldn't be here. Now now on statins and aspirin, cholesterol is great levels. I know side effects from statins are muscle pain, which I think I have. My neck and shoulders have been a problem for months for months now. I'm concerned because I really don't want to be in a statin if I don't have to. But considering my history, am I stuck on statins? <laughs> yeah, so what I would say is um, that's a good conversation to have with your physician, right, mm-hmm. is – have a list an honest discussion about like, hey, here's my risk profile. Like if you're if you've had a heart attack and you're at risk for another heart attack, um, you just really need to figure out what is the balance of risk, right? Um, there's risks for having elevated cholesterol. If your cholesterol is normal and the statins are not actually affecting your cholesterol at all, like you can go off your statins for you know a month and see if your blood cholesterol changes. That's something you can do. You can have discussions about like, hey, you know, at this point in my life, do the do the side effects outweigh the risk reduction? Are there other are there other things that can have the same risk reduction as the statins? Um, like, there's other things that can lower cholesterol if you do need cholesterol lowering medication. Um, so it's kind of just like have the discussion with your physician of like, hey, now that this is where I'm at, I've lost this weight. Um, here's where my blood lipids are at. Like, let's have a discussion of what medications do I actually need to be on? What are the side effects? What what kind of treatment plan am I willing and like would like to continue on? I mean, there's some people who it's like pretty much non-negotiable, like, Hey, until you get this number under control, we have to have you on this because otherwise the risk is just too high. Um, and there's other people it's like, Hey, you know, we're maybe looking at like a two to 5% risk reduction. If you're experiencing some of the side effects, probably doesn't make sense to have you on this. Let's figure out another way to, get another three to five percent risk right maybe it's you know different risk factor management something like that Mm -hmm. yeah i i think a lot of people don't think about the cardiovascular disease risk in the right way either that the goal is not to get it to zero because it's never going to be to zero it's how do i minimize the risk with living the life that i still would like to live and elvat you can do that too. <laughs> you know what's crazy is we had a the the director of the re- of research the hospital in my fellowship that she was like super healthy, like uh, probably like maybe even like a low BMI, ran probably oh fifty to seventy miles a week, um, like ate the healthiest diet you can imagine, and she had like a she died from a heart attack at like 55. I mean, they, she was brought back and had to have a, a pacer, like a LVAD put in. So like if she ever did have another heart attack, but yeah, so you can have, it happens to just health people all the time. Like I've had friends in their thirties. Same thing. It's pretty crazy. 
Oh, so there's a pattern around you because I have chest pains after talking to you about four times a week. So wow, that was that was rude. Very upset. But the, the, that's heartbreak from our conversation ending, not from. Uh huh. Good recovery. Yeah, I try. Good right, recovery. I think we are almost out of time. We have one more comment. You need to read it. Genesis Airdrums Phil Collins playlist equal upper arm workout. Phil Smiley Collins face emoji with sunglasses. Phil Collins is awesome. That's from Tanya. You know what's really irritating about that emoji? Um, no, what? If you're on Facebook and you're trying to make a post and you have a list and it's like A, B, oh, C, yeah. B, and B. You, put, you put B and then the the uh, closed parentheses. Yeah. It makes that freaking thing and you can't do anything about it. You have to put a space in between. It drives me nuts. Maybe she does one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 right. Brad, right. what are you doing the rest of the day? Um, I'm working, and then I'm getting on a plane, and I am flying to Phoenix for two days. Ooh. Yes. We have to finish up a project on uh, weight loss and obesity. So I'm headed down there to go finish that up. Oh, exciting. Yep. And then uh, that's about it. You know what I'm going to do? Work. Apparently your job because you're just taking vacations now. All willy nilly. I'm working all day and my flight leaves at five. Is this this macros inc work? Uh, Indirectly, yes. (laughs) Indirectly. Well, indirectly, me going drinking at noon and sitting in a bar for the rest of the day is going to be working for macros inc because I'm going to... Ponder how to make this a better organization. Yeah, it's get rid of the guy named Jay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not I'm not denying that wouldn't make things work a lot smoother. Uh, uh, thanks for the response. I will check with my doctor. It sucks being dealt l- lousy genetics. LOL. Dude, I hear you. Yeah, sometimes it. It's like some people are like six seven with like a fifty inch vertical, and some people are like six foot and a two inch vertical. We just can't all be pressure. And some people are five foot seven and just can't jump, Brad. So how about you be happy with that? I heard you can skateboard. I can. Can you do kickflips? Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. That's I demand a video of this. Uh okay. I mean it's raining out right now. I'd probably get you one next week. It's gonna rain here for the next four days. I can get you one next week. In your garage. By tonight. By tonight. I do a kickflip, a nollie. I can do a... Uh, I, I, I mean, I can I can skate. I mean, if you give can me you a... Can you do a pop, shove it? Yeah, I think a 12-year-old can. The, uh, <laughs> Liam, can do, Liam can do a pop, shove it. I got a 10-year-old who can do a pop, shove it. Can you do a... What's another cool trick? Can you do a dark slide? Uh, I'd have to look up and see what it is. I don't know all that. That's where you like... You go to you go to do a grind and you flip yeah. the board over and you oh yeah no side no I remember that from Tony Hawk from Tony Hawk yeah no pro skater <laughs> yeah no no way I could the uh I, I remember the first time I dropped in on a half pipe and I I dropped I, I I mean I had done small ones you work your way up and I dropped in and I just like missed the board and just fell down the entire thing my skateboard just fell and landed on top of me. That sounds about yeah it, it was not it was not pleasant that was probably the second concussion that I got from skateboarding how many you actually know like 50 uh seven that i know of oh that's not bad yeah, yeah. only oh, two of them weren't from skateboarding two of them were from other things but three of them were from other things but no two You're of them crazy, were from, mate. two of them from skateboarding two from hockey 
and then two from firefighting, and then one from getting hit in the head. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, so Brad, when will we be? When will we be? Ugh, when will we be back? Unfortunately, we will not be back until Monday. But when we are back on Monday, we will be located, or we will be live at the same macro time on the on same macro channel. The same macro channel. Oh my god! Oh my god! We did the thing. We did the Bazinga. thing. Oh my god! Do you think that when people hear that they I roll. They cringe. They they eye roll or they laugh at and and then if they laugh, do you think they're laughing at us or with us? It's definitely at us. Yeah, and I'm guessing they laugh, cringe at the same time. Yeah, and or just click end. That's also true. They oh my god, it's coming! Click. That's Anybody interested in coaching who liked today's episode and wants to support mine and Brad's expensive habits, like buying polo shirts for Brad, and <laughs> this was nine. Nine dollars in consuming monsters form J. Um, you can go to macrosync.net slash services, sign up for coaching. We have a two week free trial for nutrition coaching. Talk to a coach, get your weight uh under control, and that doesn't necessarily mean lose weight, that can be maintain weight, gain weight, just be at a healthy body weight, be happy with you. And that is you can also come here. Um, yeah, that would not be included in the training in the nutrition coaching, that would be training and nutrition because we do custom training programs as well, but there is no trial because a lot of work goes into designing a custom training program. So macrosync.net slash services, sign up for a trial, sign up for coaching uh, <coughs> training just directly and see how you can start making some changes today and start getting some of the things we talked about um, under control. Obviously, we're not here to treat any nutrition issues, but uh, to treat any health problems. But getting your body weight under under control is the number one thing that will bring those those issues into normal levels naturally. Oh, sure. Like everybody takes medication. Everybody talks, oh, I want natural, natural, natural. Well, here's the natural treatment. Healthy body weight. Facts. And then if that doesn't work, then look for medication. All right. Well, we are out. Everybody have a fantastic day, fantastic week. We'll see you next week. Remember, we are off on Friday. Bye. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of MI Live, a podcast from Macros Inc. If you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate it. Until next time.